Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got a good question. If you opened a store, what would you sell? This is going to say a lot. Well, I, I have always said that I would love to, to run an ice cream shop oh. because I just feel like, you know, rather than people having problems and stress and all sorts of things, like you come into an ice cream shop and it's like you're happy to be there. And, you you know, like it's a good thing. I'm going to give you something good. Um, but I also I would love to run a bookshop. And I used to work in a used bookstore and it was like like my happy place. It was the best. And I love talking to people who came in because they want to talk about books. But I thought, what if I combine them? And then I realized that's a terrible idea to be like, here, have some ice cream. Now go touch all the books. So um, that's kind of what I want to do is an ice cream shop and a bookshop next to each other or together. But they don't really combine. People could could only have access to the ice cream shop once they've been once to the they bookstore. bought a book. Yeah, like you buy a book, you can go. There to the you ice go. Cream that's but, a pretty great idea. Mm-hmm. Sit down and eat ice cream and read a book. Oh my gosh, it would just make me happy. And anybody who wanted to be there are the people that I'd want to be around. It's great. Yeah. Okay. I think I have an answer to this question, but I'm also very curious what my wife thinks I would answer. <laughs> so my wife would never ever come into the podcast studio, but we're going to call her right now and see what she says. Oh. This is amazing. I love that this is happening. Please pick up, Deanne. Please pick up. Mm, dead air on a podcast. Wouldn't let me answer the phone. Well, hello there, wife. You are currently on speakerphone and on the Bible Savvy podcast. We Hi, have Deanne. A, we have a question for you. If I was to open a store, what would I sell? I think you would sell yard maintenance stuff. Mm. Okay. Oh, that Good answer. Thanks, Deanne. Love you. Welcome. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that's a pretty that, good that's answer. That's a good answer. I, I was thinking All right, that. so I had two answers in my head. One was a Jelly Belly jelly bean store. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the, also on brand. Uh, the other one was not going to be yard equipment, but I would sell yard maintenance advice. Oh, like okay, a, like okay. like problem solving because you know some people yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know they get their first house they really don't know what to do with their yard you, you know like kind a of stuff like that. I've, could... I've actually thought about starting a like a residential yard work consulting kind of company. Well, and you want nice. you want to frame it that way of like you don't know what you're doing and and you feel intimidated. I'm going to make it easy for you without ha- you know what I mean. Like the sense yes. of mm-hmm. like clarity. About a thing that otherwise would be like, ugh. Yes, and you don't want to pay a landscaping company a ton of money to come do something that you could pretty much do for free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of fun, the Jelly Belly store is way more fun. Nikki? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mine would be to have a coffee shop that pairs different kinds of chocolates with fresh raspberries. Only fresh raspberries, different kinds of chocolate, and different kinds of coffee. Those are like my, that's my favorite combination it's like my love huh. language. I want a good hot cup of coffee with like, like probably like a 70% dark chocolate and fresh raspberries. Wow. I'm down with the coffee. I'm down with the dark chocolate and I'm down with the raspberries. But that is a very specific thing to like raspberries. How did this yeah. develop? Um, I tried it one day. So, okay. So here, okay. So here's the thing. Here's how I, I tried it. it here's, and it was good. Here's how I tried it. Um, 
I, I, I'm blanking on the brand of chocolate right now, but you can get like the squares of this chocolate with like, um, it's dark chocolate with like raspberry in, uh, filling in the center. And, um, one day I had it, it was on the counter. I, I bit a piece and I was drinking a cup of coffee and it was the most delicious thing ever. And then I was like, well, if this is good, I wonder if fresh, fresh raspberries in chocolate would be good with dark chocolate. And I tried it and it was the most amazing thing. Or if you take the dark chocolate and you drizzle them over the, the fresh raspberries and you drink it with the coffee. Mm, wow. It just made water in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to both of your stores. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if I'd go to yours, but I certainly see the need. I would want Mostly because I'm like, eh, I don't know. You talking about my yard work store or well, my Jelly Belly store? Oh, no. I go to Jelly Bellies. 100%. Okay. Yeah. I would want lawn advice from you. I'm not a big yeah. fan of Jelly Bellies. They hurt yeah. my teeth. Anyway, anyway, when you brush your clean. teeth, and you yeah, brush yeah, your teeth I do. You, you, do. you need a lifetime supply of toothpaste, exactly. as we've learned. All right. By well, the way, if that statement from Clayton struck you as completely odd, you need to listen to the previous two podcast episodes to understand <laughs> why we're talking about Nikki's love of toothpaste. Yes, it's true. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Clayton, what are we talking about today? We are in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read the first six verses of that chapter. Uh, we continue to be in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, like I said uh, a few episodes ago, we slowed down for this teaching of Jesus. Uh, there's so much good stuff that if you just rush through it, you're going to miss something uh, that could be really significant. So we want to slow down, ponder this a little bit more. Um, we're going to be reading in Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. I don't think I need to give a lot more context than this, but um, this is one we're going to have to wrestle with because I think uh, the uh, perspective the world has on this verse and the perspective we have on this verse might be a little bit different. Whoa, you just pitted us against the entire world? Uh, You know, Jesus does that a few times, so I feel like I'm in good company. Oh, okay. All right. Well justified. Here we go. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. All right, let's talk about the O in comma, which is observation. What do you guys see? Lots of repeating words like judge and judged and judging and hypocrite. Nope, hypocrites only said once. Take that out. <laughs> take that out. But it does. It does come up in uh, in the in the sermon on the mount a few times. No, we got that. We'll give it in. Hypocrite comes up a few times in the sermon on the mount. So if over the last few weeks you've been reading, mm. you've seen it come up. That's why. Yeah. It, it comes up a, a few times, and it's interesting. We use the word hypocrite all the time. Well, I don't know if we use it all the time, but the common use of our that word hypocrite uh, means someone who says one thing and does another thing mm-hmm. or doesn't live up to their ideals or something like that. You know the first person to use the word hypocrite that way? It was Jesus. The word hypocrite in Greek just means actor. So he was actually using a metaphor. He was using a word picture of saying, don't be like someone who is on stage acting like one thing, but mm-hmm. off stage is something else. And so he came up with that, and it just became part of our, our lingo. It became a different thing. Um, so that's how, that, it's from this. Mm-hmm. So in this case, you're like, you're judging people for doing one thing when you yourself are exactly. doing it. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
my observation is a question, and I think this is where we get into the the hairy part of these verses. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, well, what in the world are we saying when we say judge? Because that word has such a wide spectrum of meaning. Uh, and I think this is where people misquote this verse or mishandle it or don't understand it. So when he says, do not judge or you will be judged, is he saying don't ever evaluate anything? Everything's good. Don't ever call anything bad. Or is he saying something else? So my observation is a question. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think I think it's the, the place where this is the worth wrestling through because uh, there can be people can use this verse uh, almost in a way to shut something down, right? So if uh, someone is doing something and someone else uh, confronts them about it or offers feedback about it, uh, this can be the reaction. You know, it's a, a sort of a defensive posture of saying, don't judge me, right? Quit be, judging, judger. Yeah. And and there's uh, there's something in that that when, when it's being deployed by the person being judged, uh, you have to say, okay, is there something else going on here besides uh, simply wanting to be faithful to what Jesus says? Um, but there's also something in our culture that has misunderstood this. I find it really ironic that our culture is both really against judging certain things, but also extremely judgmental in other ways. Um, there, there was a time, I, I would say that when I was growing up, where I felt like most of the message from the world was, hey, just let people be. Whatever's good for them is good for them. Whatever's good for you, just, you know, let 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 everybody do what they're, they're going to do. If it doesn't hurt anybody else, like, that's enough. There has been a switch, I, I think even in the last decade, where there's far more uh, judgmentalism in our culture at large. Used to, it used to be you'd look at the church and be like, they're the judgmental people and everybody else is tolerant. And in some ways, it's like there's still that, like, tolerance. You should let people do what they're going to do. And then there is the judging of, well, but if you don't agree, if you don't affirm, if you don't think that this is a good idea, if you aren't um, celebratory of the thing that you're tolerating, then we're going to judge you. And there is actually an increased level of judgment. And so I find it so fascinating that this verse seems to cut both ways in our culture, both saying, uh, like, Stop being so judgmental about certain people and then also saying, actually, there are some things where you're going to have to do some confronting because there's there's that picture of someone saying, yeah, don't go as a hypocrite, but you might have to go to your brother and say, there's something in your eye. And so I, I, it's just a fascinating combo in our current cultural moment. Yeah. So one of my observations here is that you tend to get this teaching right if you'll start with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. Right. So... If you are constantly overly critical of other people, talking bad about other people, pointing out other people's faults, but you do not self-evaluate, uh, then here you have a problem of, of judgmentalism, right? There's, there's, you can be judgmental and prideful, uh, but if you'll start with yourself, which is pointing out in a very humorous way here, mm-hmm. you're looking at sawdust in someone else's eyes and you got a plank. Like, that's really funny. That's, yeah. that's a good sense of humor. Uh, so if you start with yourself... Uh, and then there was another place where he talks about the measure you use will be measured to you. So if you start by asking the question, well, how do I want people to approach me? How do I want people to think about me? How do I want people to talk about me? It's kind of the do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, so if you start with yourself, you generally get his teaching right on this. Yeah. When In connection to that, it, said, it says... Uh, Verse three, pay no, you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. I, I wrote the question down. Why, why do people do that? 
why do people pay no attention to the blank in their own eye? And I said, well, okay, uh, denial, uh, lack of awareness, uh, protection of self-image, like they, they want to project that false image. They're not seeing themselves as a hypocrite, but that's what they're doing. Um, and I just, I agree with you completely, Eric. Like if you can get that part right, you're going to, you're going to be okay. But if, if you're in denial or you have a lack of awareness and you're not willing to confront what you're doing or what you're not doing, um, it's not going to be good for you. Yeah. And there's a certain practicality of doing it first. So this is the part where there is actually a place where you're going to go to your brother and say, Hey, let me help you remove the sawdust in your eye. Um, but you can't do it if you're ignoring your own stuff. Like there's something, Mm -hmm. there's something even just about getting the job done that if there's a plank in your eye, you cannot see, you cannot see clearly if you are tolerating a certain sin in your own life. Um, and, and so to actually address that makes you better able to be the sort of person who could come alongside someone. I, I heard um, someone make the observation. It's not like explicit in this verse, but I think it's, I think it's appropriate. Um, if you've ever had um, someone remove something uh, like, you know, you had a sliver or you had a surgery on something, or if there was something in your eye and you had to get it out, um, if you then had to go around, turn around and do that for somebody else, you're going to be much more aware of the pain of that procedure. Mm-hmm. Right, like to get the plank out of your eye is probably going to be uncomfortable. There's probably going to be some pain to that, and then you're going to turn around and say, "You know what? There's something in your eye." However, you do that, you're going to be gentle, right? Like you're going to be the sort of person who's sympathetic because you realize, "Man, this is hard to go through." And so when I talk to you, I'm not going to come come across as harsh, even if I'm going to still talk to you about it. Um, there's something about that, like unique, like. I'm not judgmental, and yet I'm also addressing things that is kind of the, the, the special mixture that's in this. The thing that just popped into my mind when you said that, um, there's a passage in the New Testament, I can't remember where it is, but it says something about the blind cannot lead the blind. And it's that idea, like, if you don't know what you're talking about, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know where you're going, you can't lead somebody. Like, if you haven't been there, you can't, you can't lead anybody else there. Um, it's the same thing. If you haven't taken it out of your own eye, how can you take it out of anybody else's? There is a, a passage in First uh, Corinthians chapter five. Um, it's a it's a weird passage in a lot of ways, but the bottom line that Paul gives is there's a there's a, a church discipline issue, and the church has been tolerating the person there, um, and uh, he they, he says you got to deal with this. This is something you cannot just let go on. It's a bad enough thing that it needs to be addressed. And he then he has this line where he says, uh, but. When I say you need to like deal with this person, I'm not saying you got to deal with everybody who does this out in the world because you you can't go through the whole world and do this. I'm talking about people who call themselves a brother or sister. That's who you need to address this with. It's not our job to judge the world, but it is our job to judge each other (laughs) in a sense, which is something that sounds uncomfortable, right? Um, But there is something about saying, hey, no, we're brothers and sisters. Like that that language is used here, a brother's eye, you know? Um, But if you say, I'm the sort of person who's had things taken out of my eye, and I'm going to approach you and help you take things out of your eye. There's like a different attitude to that that happens internal to the family rather than us sort of yelling at the world about those things. So there's a distinction between a brother versus everybody else too. Yeah, I was actually just on my phone looking at that First Corinthians 5 text because in verse 6 here of Matthew 7, it says, Do not give the dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So it is coaching about appropriately discerning, appropriately judging right from wrong, good from evil, bad from good, and 
making sure you keep it in the right context, which is what Clayton just said, right? If if there's someone else that genuinely wants to follow God, wants to know God more, follow God more faithfully, and you see something about the way they're doing things that you correct lovingly, you're judging at that point, right? It's lovingly judging. You're discerning. You are you are calling things what they are. That person is likely to be receptive. But just screaming at the world and everything about the world that is against the ways of God is not only a waste of time, but in fact, you're inviting harm on yourself. It's because, it, and what it says here is, you know, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Pigs don't value pearls. So you're, you're trying to give something valuable to someone that doesn't see it as valuable. And so you're not only wasting your time, but it's harmful. It's harmful for the church's relationship with the world. It's harmful for your relationship with that person. It's not going to result in good things. There's a, a parable that Jesus tells. I think it's later in Matthew. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's in Matthew. Um, but he, he tells a story of, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a field where a bunch of wheat was sown. And then the enemy comes along and sows a bunch of weeds. And they both grow up together. They look really similar to each other. Um, you know, it would take some work to separate them. And... And the like conclusion of it is don't like they ask, should we just pull it up? You know what I mean? Should we like, you know, root out all the weeds? It's like, no, if you try to like get rid of the weeds, you'll also pull up the weed and you know, you, you, this is an impractical thing. Let's wait till the harvest. Let's wait till the end and all sort it out basically. So it's Jesus saying, it is not your job to go into the world and separate all, you know, all the good, all the bad and solve that. There's a certain amount of saying, no, let's make sure that the wheat keeps growing. You are not going to be able to pull out all the weeds. It's not your job to do that. I will sort it out, though, one day. It's not your job to judge, because it's my job to judge. Um, and I think that's some of what's going on in this this passage as well. I can't tell you how many times when my kids were growing up, I would correct them on something or tell them they couldn't do something, and they would say, but the Johnsons allow their kids to do that. And I would say, the Johnsons' kids aren't my kids. Yeah, I'm not going to go over to the Johnsons' house and start telling those kids how to behave but the kids that live in my house. And so this is the same way with church. I think sometimes what happens is people's people come to a church and of course all of us are in the process of growing and learning and being sanctified so we learn the bible more and more. And but when we first come to a church, we have certain expectations that may or may not line up with what the scriptures say God wants his church to be. And I think often people come into a church community and they think that love means no one ever saying anything confrontational. So someone tries to lovingly take a speck out of your mouth. Well, how dare they? Who do they think they are? Okay. But this is what Christians do for each other. We help each other grow. And so I don't, you know, chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. Once again, that word judge can be used on a, on a wide spectrum. It's not saying don't ever call right, right, and wrong, wrong, or discern things or try to help each other grow or call things out. It's talking about judgmentalism, being overly harsh, thinking everyone else is worse than you, not having a right self-evaluation, somehow somehow in your own pride thinking you're perfect and everyone else is an idiot. That's what that's saying. All right, let's talk about one of the M's in comma. Uh, Let's talk about message. How would you sum up a principle from this passage? All right, my message is don't expect of others what you don't expect of yourself. Ooh, we have a winner. Man, that's a good one. I'm going to go with measure twice, cut once. 
So, right, the old the old carpentry tip. Before you try to remove someone's spec or confront someone lovingly, first of all, measure yourself. Then secondly, measure what's really going on with them. Don't be overly harsh. Don't be overly critical. Don't make it a bigger thing than it is. So measure twice, cut once. I'm going to pick one side of the, the part of this that I think is countercultural and make it a message. It's in a judgmental age, we need humble Christians. And I, I, I'm saying that because I kind of relish flipping the script because for so long, Christians were considered judgmental. And, and in many respects, there, there were lots of churches that did this wrong. But it is really strange to me that we live in an age where we talk about cancel culture and we talk about all those things where there's lots of people who feel like, I can't say or do certain things because I'm wondering what other people are going to uh, think about me, how they're going to treat me, what attitude I'm going to get. And there could be something really refreshing of finding about the people who have some of the strongest moral convictions are actually the people who are going to be the most gentle, the most humble, the least pushy about you know, telling you what to do, like to say, you know, we're going to interact with a lot of people in the world and they're going to find us really refreshingly humble and like uh, gentle. And we, we, we have things that we stand for, but we're interacting with them as if we're, we're peers, not looking down on them. Like there's something about that that might be really, really refreshing. So my message is in a judgmental age, the world needs humble Christians. All right, let's talk about the other M in comma. This is meditation. This is when we uh, prayerfully respond to the passage. And I'm going to read uh, verse 4 here as a prompt uh, for a, a little bit of reflection, a little bit of confession. We've been talking about this here. So I'll give you about 45 seconds. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. What do we do in response to this? I want my application to be Eric's message. That was fantastic. Um, I I think a good application here of don't expect of others what you don't expect of yourself is um, that's the process of self self, self, Hold on. That's the process of self-evaluation, looking at yourself in a mirror, being being aware of of, – of just what you have going on in your own life, um, not judging others for doing something that you yourself are already doing. Um, you can't expect others to not do things. You, you know what I mean? Uh, hold on, let me say. You just, you cannot expect of others what you don't expect of yourself. My message was measure twice, cut once. And if the first measuring is what Nikki was just saying, which is measuring yourself, being being honest about who you are and what you struggle with, then I have to take it back to a previous teaching on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus taught us how to pray. And he said, so part of the pattern is forgive me of my debts or my trespasses as I also forgive others of theirs. Uh, And so 
you know, to, to make sure that confession and repentance is a regular part of my prayer routine in some ways safeguards me from becoming the overly harsh, judgmental person that Jesus is teaching us to not become. Yeah, I, I'm not sure there's much to add. I really do think that how you become a humble Christian that the world needs is that process of uh, confession and reflection and letting that kind of make your heart tender. Um, if you don't go through that, there's no fake in it. All right, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download the plan and to start reading today. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.